Well, thanks for being here today. Um, all of us are adjusting, and one of the things that we're all adjusting to is a lot of video conferencing. I know that you have done that with your teachers, your, your children's teachers, and maybe some students. Um, one thing I heard that I thought was pretty hilarious is that online retail stores have reported a uh, uptick in the sale of shirts, uh, but not pants. So evidently, we're all adapting in our own ways. I have loved hearing about the different ways that um, people in our church have figured out how to stay connected. Uh, one disciple group gets on a Zoom conference call every Sunday morning and they take communion together. I know other disciple groups are meeting. I know parents are doing Bible class with their children. Um, so it, it's pretty awesome all the different ways people have adapted to the situation. So I just want you to know that the staff is praying for you. We're thinking about you. Uh, we're trying to consider all the different ways that we can remain in touch until um, who knows what and when this will all, uh, will all wrap up and end. But we're excited to be back together, and we're praying that God will make that happen sometime soon. So we're in the uh, final sermon in the Rebellious Bible series. And it, it, it's, we called it that because the Bible does not work like we expect it to. And despite being this ancient document, it's an ancient collection of books, actually, a library, and it's written to people of a different culture, uh, to people on the other side of the world, it has this incredible power to speak into our lives and transform us and the things and deal with things that we're going through. And um, I know maybe after uh, four weeks of hearing about this, some of you are thinking, okay, fine, Patrick, I guess I'll read the Bible. And that's great. But that's not actually the outcome we're looking for. In fact, the Bible rarely, if ever, asks us to just read it. It is much better than that. And we're going to come back and talk about that in just a minute. I kind of want to start with a little bit of a curveball. And, uh, and it's this. God wants to remodel your brain. Now, I know that may not sound very appealing, but I just want you to consider for a second how well our brains are working for us now. On a Sunday morning a while back, I arrived at church, and as I'm pulling into the parking lot, I noticed that there was a beer can in the church lawn. Someone had tossed it out the window as they drove by, which isn't great, but it um, also didn't look great to have a beer can in the church lawn. So I picked it up, and evidently it wasn't completely empty, and I got beer spilled all over me. And I thought, man, as bad as it is to have a beer can in the church lawn, it is much worse if people start rolling into church at 9 a.m. and the preacher smells like he has been out all night. That seems pretty shady. Uh, so I came into the building, I set the can down on a table, and I walked in to, to wash up and try to get the smell off me. And then, and this is true, as I walked back out, and saw the beer can on the table, I kind of froze, and I thought, who in the world brought beer into the church building on a Sunday morning? And then a couple seconds later, I realized that it was me. I was the one who had brought beer into the church on a Sunday morning. And, and this, is, this is the human brain. It's beautiful and complex, and it's deeply flawed. I mean, it's capable of producing this incredible art and music and, and these expressions of creativity, but we can also walk into a room and completely forget why we walked into that room. I want you to consider some of the ways that our own brains sabotage our spiritual ideals. Some of you, prior to a stay-at-home order, had brains that told you that you were patient people. Then, 
You had to help your children distance learn. Now, you love your children. You want them to be well-educated, but your mental reaction, your brain's reaction to helping them invert fractions, well, the well of patience does not run as deep as you thought. I, part of what I'm saying, I guess, is that I think teachers should be paid millions of dollars. And honestly, if we have to choose between bringing back educators and professional athletes, I think we know where the money should go. Maybe um, the most universal example of what we're talking about is this way that our brains handle worry. We do not want to worry. We have read and we have highlighted those verses that deal with worry, yet when we get a glimpse of how our retirement account is doing or when we wake up in the middle of the night and we think about, like, what's going to happen and where are things going, then all, all of a sudden our brain, the alarms in our brain start going off and we're just consumed with worry. And if you've ever commanded your brain, brain, stop worrying, it's just like pouring gas on a fire. It just doesn't work. What is going on in our minds that the very thing we do not want to think becomes the only thing that we can think about? And, and here's the deal. It's not just worry. It's greed and selfishness and lust and complaint and negativity or even conversely things like, like peace and joy that we want to have in our lives. We tell ourselves, come on, let's get it together. Let's get it figured out. So many of our spiritual struggles are related to the way our minds seem to be hardwired. The things that are just kind of natural and instinctual in our minds. Solomon wrote, lean not on your own understanding, and he wasn't kidding. I mean, he was serious about this idea that we cannot trust ourselves. Paul wrote in the book of Romans chapter 8 verse 7 that the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. And so it's no surprise that God wants to overhaul our minds. And he's not been secretive about it either. It's not like God has sprung this on us once we've started to get involved in faith and Christianity. In fact, it's all over the scriptures. Let me give you just a quick sampling of it. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Philippians 2, 5. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 4, 23. Be made new in the attitude of your mind. We, we have heard these verses before. They are not new. They are not unfamiliar. But I am not sure that we understand the full implication of what God is trying to do. God wants to transform your thoughts. This is your instincts and your reactions and your mental habits. He wants to re-engineer what happens when your synapses fire, what is at the end of our neural pathways. God wants to get in there and rework all of that to make that all new. He wants us to think like Christ. He wants us to bless when we are cursed. He wants us to reflexively forgive when even before that we're asked to forgive. He wants us to subconsciously Consciously make the choice to put other people first, to instinctively love our enemies. I mean, it's down even to the emotional level that God is interested in. He talks about in the book of Romans chapter 12, he says he wants us to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. I, I'm not there yet. I continue to tolerate what is evil, and I'm often resistant to what is good. God wants Christ-likeness to be a part of our DNA just to get down into the very core of who we are. 
Now, I don't mean to imply that there won't be aspects of Christianity that are always kind of an uphill battle. Um, I, I don't want to imply that there won't be uh, times where overcoming temptation is going to be easy or, or difficult or won't be easy. Um, but I just think that we need to understand what God is trying to do, the way that God is trying to transform us and shape us. I mean, he wants this to become who we are, and it begins, it starts with the way we think. Now, some of you may be thinking, okay, Patrick, <laughs> good luck with that. I am who I am. I, this, this person, this brain of mine, the way it works has been decades in the making, and at this point in my life, I'm really more about kind of accepting this. You, you just can't teach an old dog new tricks. But if, if we're, you know, talking out loud here, how exactly is this sort of mental transformation supposed to take place? Well, I'm, I'm very glad you asked. God wants to remodel your brain. He uses scripture to do the work. Now, again, you might be sitting there thinking, okay, well, yes, I should have seen that coming. You're preaching a series about the Bible. Of course, your answer is going to be the Bible. I mean, yes, 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 we get that we need to read the Bible. And you may even be thinking, look, I did read the Bible, and it didn't magically transform me, so I don't know. Well, this is important. It's not actually so much that you should read the Bible. And, and the Bible doesn't really expect us to read the Bible. Now, let me say, before you get too worked up or turn the TV off, let me say that for a disciple, that, that reading scripture should just go without saying. I mean, that's 101, right? If you are literate and you have access to a copy of the scriptures, you should read it. And if you're not doing that, well, well you should feel a little bit guilty, and you need to start there. But the Bible doesn't expect us to read the Bible. It is much bigger than that. I've heard that uh, it's not uncommon for married couples to occasionally get into arguments. And uh, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but sometimes the substance of an argument is actually a prior conversation. It's not even about what's going on in the moment. It's about what was said in the past. And, and it can go something like this. Well, I never said that you should, or I heard you say with my own ears. Now, I'm not saying I've ever done this, but have any of you ever brought in your children as witnesses? Honey, did you just hear what mommy said? Can you believe that? Because the problem with this, though, is, is who knows? Because maybe you thought you said it, but it was just something that was going on in your mind. Remember, sometimes our brains are unreliable. Or maybe you had that conversation with someone else, and your memory transposed the details, and you thought you had it with your spouse, but... With the invention of texting, we've entered kind of a new era. Because when a texting conversation takes place, there is a transcript. Now, when I come home from the store and I have bread and milk and onions, and my wife says, why did you buy onions? And I say, well, because you asked me to. And she says, no, I said that we had onions. And I said, no, you said get milk, bread, and onions. And so, of course, we go to the transcript. I thought, brain again, that I had read and processed the information correctly. Man, betrayed by my own mind once again. Now, let me say this for the public record. This is very important. My wife is overwhelmingly correct in these situations. I would say that probably 99 times out of 100, if not more, every time we go to the historical record, it turns out that I have misread the texts and she is right. Will I ever learn? Probably not. 
But we need to acknowledge that all of us have this struggle with processing information well. And so when we're talking about this idea with Scripture, we've got to think through what is Scripture trying to get us to do in, t- in terms of engaging Scripture. I want you to notice the verbs Scripture uses instead of read. Now, I think this is kind of a game changer because this, I feel like, has been hiding in plain sight. And it spans the scope of Scripture. You will find verses all the way back in the book of Genesis, all the way to the book of Revelation, about how we engage Scripture. And it's not using the verb read. Let's go all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 6. This is such a convicting verse. He writes, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you, uh, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. He's saying, saturate your world with scripture. Make it be the conversations that you have. It is the first thing that you speak of in the morning, and it is the last thing that you think of when you go to bed. He says, decorate your houses with scripture. Landscape your yards with scripture. You should notice that the point isn't that we remove ourselves from the world in order to get into the Bible, but that we bring the Bible into every part of our world. I love that. He's saying, don't read the Bible. Immerse your life in it. If you fast forward a thousand years or so to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 1, verse 2, he's talking about the ideal Bible reader. And he's talking about the things that this person doesn't do. But in verse 2, he says, this person's delight is in the law of the Lord. And he meditates on this law day and night. Meditate. Now, meditate is used dozens of times throughout the Psalms, and it is definitely not some Eastern mysticism, crossing your legs, emptying your mind, focus on your breathing, look internally. It's actually filling your mind. It's filling your mind with Scripture, filling your mind with the things of God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 would go on to say that it is setting your mind on things above. Now, I find this fascinating, and this is a whole rabbit trail I could go down and talk about for a long time, but I won't. The word meditate is most often in scripture translated to describe animals eating. It's the sound that they make when a lion eats every part of its prey. So the word meditate is this idea of like you're you're tasting it, you're appreciating it, you're eating it, you're using it for substance. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Don't read the Bible Chew on it. Think about it. Digest it. Make it part of who you are. Colossians chapter 3. Go all the way to the New Testament. Colossians 3, 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. He's saying let Scripture move in. Let it become a permanent house guest. Let it come in and begin to rearrange the, the, the furniture and decorate the walls and change things up. Let it come in and remodel. This is what the word is supposed to be doing inside us. Don't read the Bible. Let it dwell in you. Let it move in. And so essentially what the scripture is telling us is don't just read. Saturate your life with scripture. It's so much bigger than just reading it. 
Now, reading the verse of the day that you get via text is, is, a, is a great start. But it's kind of like maybe hearing a friend who just started to learn to play guitar try to play you the 1812 overture. It's, it's, you're, you may get the general idea, but there's so much more depth there to explore. A few weeks ago, I showed you all a picture of Corrine and I on our wedding day. And uh, we had been planning our wedding for a while, and we decided we wanted to try to do things a little different. We were picking different songs, we thought, than everybody else. Most people do Pachelbel's Canon as they walk up or whatever, and the wedding march. And so we were, gonna, we were going through all these different ideas, these different song selections. And, you know, let's, hey, what if we walked up to uh, the Beatles, I want to hold your hand? Or, or, and I, I suggested this to Crean. I said, what if our recessional was James Brown, I feel good? That would be cool, right? And Crane said, what's I feel good? <laughs> You've never heard I feel good? And so I tried to sing it for her, you know, the guitar parts and everything, and I'll spare you right now. But uh, amazingly, she was hesitant to accept that as a recessional song based on my a cappella rendition of it for her. So then I went and found a CD or record or whatever we had back in the day, and I played the actual song for her, and she's like, I like this. This is good. Well, that's what I was singing. Well, but there's a difference between my rendition of it and the original artist, what their intent was and what their thoughts were in, in getting the full experience. Reading Scripture is a must, and God will work with whatever we're giving him. If we're giving him a minute, a day, and we're reading part of one verse, well, God will work with that, and that's a start. But I think transformation at the cellular level, the synapse level, the mental level happens when we crank that volume up to 11 and we let God's truth vibrate in every corner of our lives. It's everything. Saturate every part of your life with scripture. Now, I will say, and we could talk about this for a long time, your biggest obstacle is going to be distraction. You have an enemy who doesn't want you dwelling in scripture. He doesn't want you to meditate on scripture because he doesn't want you to be transformed by the truths of God. He would rather you do anything else. And our study guide this week has a lot more to talk about that. But here's what you need to do. You need to take a passage of scripture, a parable, a psalm, a story in the Gospels, and then go for a run. But don't bring your headphones. Let that word kind of rattle around your mind. Maybe take a walk with your kids and tell them about what you've read. Maybe bring it up over family dinner or have a conversation with your spouse about it. If you're still commuting, then turn off that radio and let that word sit there in your mind and begin to saturate it, dwell with it, meditate on it, think about it, chew on it from every angle. Listen, there is no drive-through, take-out option here. Scripture is just not a box that can be checked as we move on with our day. It's something that needs to be part of every corner of our life. I want to wrap up with this. Um, Psalm 119 uh, verse 11, and, and Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in Scripture, and it is all about Scripture. It's very meta. But Psalm 119, verse 11 says this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And what I believe David was saying is that this is deeply embedded and entrenched into the very fabric of our lives. It informs every thought 
and every decision and every reaction. And so we're not waking up at 3 a.m. telling ourselves to stop worrying. We're waking up at 3 a.m. and we're letting the word of God wash over our minds and help us remember that he is in control even when we have no certainty. God wants to remodel your brain. And one of his primary tools is scripture. And that's what it's all about. And so our prayer throughout all of this is that maybe some of you have found yourselves with more time on your hands. But even if you have it, even if you're busy, this is not something that we can put off. This is something that we as disciples of Jesus Christ have to dig into and allow God's word to saturate every corner of our lives. Even the strange parts, even the parts that we struggle with, those need more chewing and more meditation and more thought. All right. Join us next week. We're going to talk about some important things. It's Easter Sunday, and we're going to be celebrating in a vastly different way than we have in the past. And it's going to look a little different, but we do have some plans that we think will help uh, make it memorable and special.